Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What's the first brand you remember having an impact on you as a young girl in the Midwest? Disney. Because I had was not able to travel a lot, and that just seemed like, uh, you know, a, a, a world of possibilities. And so that really excited me as a young kid. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it. But the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on this CMO podcast is Claire Bennett, the chief customer and chief marketing officer of the Intercontinental Hotels Group, IHG for short. IHG is one of the top global hospitality companies based in the UK with 16 hotel brands, 6,000 hotel properties, and operations in about 100 countries. A sampling of their brands, Intercontinental, of course, Holiday Inn, Six Senses, Kimpton, Hotel Indigo, and Crown Plaza. Claire has been an IHG for three and a half years, following stints at PepsiCo Quaker Oats, Dell, and American Express. Everyone in the hospitality business has had one wild year, and Claire is no exception. But perhaps she was more ready than most. We will talk about that and more. This is my conversation with Claire Bennett. Claire, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I love your name. Our daughter's (laughs) name is Claire. Uh, And she, by the way, like you, just loves to travel and hang out in hotels. So she and I tomorrow are taking a little trip together and we're going to go skiing for three days. And so, and I haven't done much of that in the last year. I can't wait. What's the trip you're looking forward to next? Oh my goodness. Um, Well, I, you know, I actually have been traveling a bit uh, in the past year, trying to go, I am based in New Jersey. And so took the opportunity to actually go around places on the East Coast this summer that I hadn't seen, and uh, very safely, of course. Uh, and it was actually pretty interesting to sort of see how hotels were. Um, I stayed at some of our properties, but also some other properties just to see kind of the best practices, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, so I feel like I've gotten a little bit of travel in, um, but I am um, always happy to stay at any of our properties. I'm, I'm excited to see some of our Six Senses properties. That's a brand we acquired uh, last year, and um, they've been busy opening new hotels. We also have some incredible Indigo hotels, and uh, Japan is kind of high on my list. Mine too, mine too. But I, I want to talk a bit about my connection with some of your hotels since you raised that just a moment ago. And you, you might hear stories like this all the time, but 
Several of your hotel brands hold a very special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. The Holiday Inn was the first hotel I ever stayed in, and I remember it vividly as a kid. When P&G moved my family and I to Eastern Europe for my first general manager job, we spent several months in the intercontinental Prague. That was our home. And it That's was just su- such a special memory. And when I taught in UC- at UCLA after I left P&G, I commuted to LA from San Diego, where we have a home, and uh-huh. I stayed in the Kimpton in Westwood. That was my home as I taught for four years. So I have so many beautiful memories of so many of your brands. That's why I love the category. I mean, it's really, it's about moments in people's lives. And that's what makes it so fun to work in it. And um, everybody's got a story like that. You know, I, I either grew up with Holiday Inn on the roadside trips that my family made together or uh, love to go for drinks at the Kimptons and the boutique version. And uh, so it's really sort of the heritage of, of our company. So thanks for sharing. So how about for you, Claire? What are the hotel brands in your life that have a special place in your heart? You know, it's kind of funny. When I I grew up in the Midwest and uh, we came from a large family, so we did not have a lot of money. And we used to take long road trips in our car uh, with five brothers and one sister. So you can imagine how fun that car ride was. So I always looked forward to getting out of the car. And so the hotel pool was always a big highlight, yeah. which it's, um, you know, funny to remember those things. But, you know, I remember Holiday Inn as a, as a big part of, of those road trips. And um, that's a big part of my memories. And then, um, you know, my last role, I was ran the travel business at American Express. So have seen a lot of properties around the world and um, just have great memories of everything from business meetings that you've had in those to, you know, trips with my girlfriends to celebrate key birthdays. And, um, you know, it's another thing about the category. It's every important thing that happens in people's lives involves some level of travel and probably a stay in a hotel. And that's what makes it infinitely interesting and exciting. For sure. So let's now jump into your career. And I want to talk about where you began, which was in accounting and finance. And there's some compelling research out of Spencer Stewart that a big reason heads of marketing, chief marketing officers fail is they don't speak or understand the language of business. And you obviously speak and understand the language of business. That's where you kind of began in the nuts and bolts of a company in in accounting and finance. So I want you to think about about that. Is that a reason you have been successful in your marketing career, having that start in finance and accounting? Absolutely. And actually, it was advice my father gave me when I was working on my degree to focus on, you know, if you want to be in business, you have to know how a company makes money and, and that's really why companies exist. Um, and so it was great advice and spent, gosh, I think probably the first eight years in accounting type roles and then moved into marketing. And I really like, you know, and marketing now is so data driven. And if, you know, if, if you don't have that ability to sort of look through and, and, and seek out the insights in the data, then I think in today's world, that, that would be a struggle from a marketing standpoint. And I think both sides are, are really what makes it interesting, the creative aspect of it, but importantly, when do you use intuition and when do you use analytics and knowing that balance? Um, and I also think, you know, in a lot of cases, 
the CMO is about growth and finding opportunities for where they're, you know, strategically the business can grow. And, and that also, I think, requires some level of analytical bent to, you know, see those trends and, and know when to capitalize on them and how. Yeah, we on another podcast recording I did with a, with a professor, he talked about how you really have to understand how growth happens in a company. Mm-hmm. And that maybe sounds like a simple question, but many people don't really understand that. And if you don't understand how growth happens in your category and company, yeah. and, your, and your responsibility is growth, that's a problem. Right. And so, you know, looking for trends and seeing where there might be interesting opportunities, um, that's, I think, where the, the fun part of it is. But, you know, there's an interesting insight I had. I went from CPG, which, as you know, is very consumer-centric and, in many cases, um, uh, the creative aspect of the product itself is what you spend a lot of time thinking through to Dell, which was very analytic ROI marketing. You know, it was really two extreme ends of the spectrum. And what was interesting to me, I, I, again, I, I both are super important, but at some points, you know, I think the marketing industry itself went too far down the data path and gotten to the point where, you know, data sometimes only tells you where you are. It doesn't tell you where things are going. And that requires some level of intuition uh, history and guts to 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 know when to sort of embark on that. And I remember a moment when I was at Dell where we were testing, you know, responses to a direct mail catalog, and we'd always had desktop PCs on the cover, and we switched to notebooks. And the data showed that the response dropped off precipitously, but that's where the market was going. So the data actually told us the wrong answer, which was to keep putting a focus on desktops, and as a result. For a short period of time, we sort of fell behind the competition because we were relying too much on the data. And so I think, you know, I'd be curious what you think, but I think the pendulum swung back a little bit for marketers is there's a little bit Mm -hmm. more um, risk taking and comfort with that. There almost has to be in some cases. And I think it seems like we're now at a pretty good point where people know that you need both of those skills. And that's really when you see the great results from companies is when they know how to, to master both sides of that equation. Yeah, I was recently talking to the CEO of a big tech company who said to me, if you just follow the data, all of your marketing will go into performance marketing because it's easier to analyze the results. And before you know it, you lose your brand. You lose the sense of who you are and people lose the sense of who you are. So, and that takes courage. And and obviously we have to measure everything better, including all of the, you know, so-called brand equity marketing that's measurable yes. as well we just have to you know be creative in how we do it but yeah that's 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 our job mm-hmm. right and that's what makes it fun so tell me what's your advice for CMOs who did not start in finance and accounting and do, do not have the firm solid background on the numbers and how companies work that you do I think it's just making sure that you do focus on learning it. I think you can't discount it. I think it will limit your credibility at some points when you're at the you know, senior executive table, because that's how the conversations are going to go. And so I think you know, there, there's nothing you can't learn online these days, right? So yeah. even if you, you, know, you don't want to go back and get an MBA or you know, don't have a mentor who can help you with this, I think there's other ways to learn it. And it's just knowing you know, sort of the key elements um, and and also just knowing how to speak in that language. I think that's um, absolutely critical for today's CMOs. 
really for anybody in the C-suite, though that's that's a given. Yeah. You said a moment ago you you know you jumped from CPG to Dell and you were at PepsiCo Quaker Oats in CPG. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was also the time I believe when you shifted from finance to marketing. Yes. And I've heard you say that Mary Dillon was the executive yes. who kind of, you know, pulled you out of finance and into marketing. And Mary, of course, now is a highly successful CEO of Ulta Beauty and a remarkable leader. So has she been the leader who you believe has had the biggest impact on your career or someone else? Certainly, certainly one of the biggest, if not the biggest. And it was because, you know, and I try and think of this lesson myself, you know, it was just a few, uh, have you thought about yourself this way, challenges. And particularly, I think sometimes with women, um, you know, who may not obviously shoot for every job. And sometimes you, you find you might need to talk talk them into certain jobs, that it's so important to kind of say, here's what I see in you. I don't know if you see this in you, really as a mentor to anyone. And I think that's what she did for me at the time is I was in finance. And she kind of said, it seems to me that you you could be really good at marketing and would love to give you that opportunity. And she did. And then she also put me in a lot of um, mentorship uh, classes and opportunities that she recommended. And even to this day, I talked to her quite a bit about um, many career things. She's always incredibly responsive, as busy as she is. And so, uh, yes, I'm a huge Mary Dillon fan, and um, she's had a big impact on my career. But others have as well. I think it's really the people who sort of challenge you at, at times um, is where I think it can make the most difference. But I, I'm, I'm struck by a few words can make such a difference in someone's career. And I do try and remember that as a leader now, um, one way or the other, right? Um, you can make someone's confidence soar or you can impact it in a negative way. And so you have to be thoughtful about that, that power. And I appreciate those have had an impact on me. Whose career do you think you've had the biggest impact on? You know, I think I've been focused a lot um, on early on when I was at Dell, sort of female leaders and the opportunity for it, particularly because in, at that time, that was quite some time ago, technology was not where you you saw a lot of leaders and a lot of opportunity. And so, you know, rather than one person, I'd say it was just kind of providing opportunities and also providing the coaching of, you can do this. And um, you can also, in some cases where people are struggling with work-life balance choices, you can you can do this and you can make it balance and you you will be a good parent, I promise you. And uh, and I think that's something I'm really proud of is um, seeing sort of a whole class of people that have been quite successful in their careers. I was just texting back and forth with Karen Quintos, you know, who's oh, yeah. left Dell recently. She's she had a great run and I think a remarkable leader. She was also one of those people who. Um, had reached out to me when I was at Dell and and same sort of thing, periodically gave me advice. Um, you know, people who sometimes see you in meetings and will call out a subtle behavior that you might not realize or you didn't know the the politics or the history of an environment. Those are the kinds of things I think are, that are the most helpful coaching. Uh, it's the softer skills, right? I mean, the sort of business results, there's a path. You at least know what that looks like. It's the softer skills that you might not know that you've stubbed your toe or, you know, made an error. And I think those are the moments when the the coaching can be the most impactful and the most influential. 
We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. If you helicopter up on your career and you look at the companies you work with, you know, Dell, PepsiCo, Quaker, American Express, now IHG. I mean, all of them have been on over the past, what, 20 years, the most yeah. admired list, right? Yes. They, they have. So, and, and you've been on the board of an incredible array of companies, including Toomey, you know, the luggage company. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you reflect back on these, Claire, which of those experiences was the most developmental for you? We've just talked about Mary pulling you out of finance and into marketing. But when you think about those companies and the jobs you've had at those companies, which one for you was the most developmental? Well, they all had different elements. Um, you know, I, I think at, at CPG, you you learn the customer so incredibly well. At Dell, it was and and you know from CPG you're testing you're testing you're testing by the time you've put a product on the shelf you're pretty sure it's going to be successful because that's where your investment is um at Dell it was a pace you know we went to sort of rocket ship pace and that was a learning in and of itself is that you don't test anything here you just put it on the website and if it works you'll see it immediately and if it doesn't you you pull it um, but I would say the talent also at Dell. Dell was at that time the number one most admired company. Mm-hmm. So while others, um, it's funny, I was just looking at how many companies I've been lucky to work at that were the most admired and they were number one at that time. And it was just the talent was incredible. You were challenged everywhere you turned, but it made you so much, you know, such a better business leader. Um, and the pace was relentless, which teaches you something as well. It teaches you prioritization. Um, and then American Express, just the customer centricity uh, and that sort of obsession with service. And I worked in the service, in a service arm at American Express. So just watching the, you know, the spirit of the customer is always right. And at IHG, it's um, just also sort of the customer focus, but but also on the B2B side, on the owner side. So you've got two different customers. You've got your guest and you've got your owner and both are really important. Uh, and thinking through sort of that um, mindset and also the global nature of IHG, which I'm excited to talk about as we talk about the pandemic later, how fascinating it was to watch this crisis globally and to think about changing the rules while you're moving, where in some countries, you know, masks were not being worn and, and governments were changing policies overnight. So that sort of global pace and knowledge of what's happening around the world. And then China is a big part of our market at IHG. And so, you know, mobile growth in China and just learning from that consumer and such a young consumer base and how they think about um, consuming media is is been fascinating as well. So each one had their own thing. I, I, know, I know I didn't answer the question, by the no, way. No, it's good. <laughs> you said pick one. Um, all of them. Yeah, just for our listeners, when you talk about the owners, they may not understand your business Oh, I'm model. sorry. 
Yeah. So uh, in, in many of the large hospitality uh, hotel companies, um, there are multiple ownership models that includes franchise ownerships, um, real estate investment trusts, uh, but also in some cases, state-owned enterprises. So it's a, it's a pretty diverse group, um, depending on if it's a, a mainstream franchise business or um, in some cases, luxury, we might have some ownership stake ourselves in some of those, et cetera. So it's, you've got many layers of relationships. And again, they're global. Uh, and so thinking through how unique that is by market um, is, has been interesting as well. Now, you, you gave me a great answer. You didn't specifically answer my question. So I'm going to get <laughs> even sorry. more specific. What was the toughest assignment in that career to date? I would say Dell. Just because the, the move from uh, the pace of consumer packaged goods at the time, I mean, I, you know, I'm not in that market now. I'm sure it's changed quite a bit to technology and the fact that it was so data driven. I mean, there was a sign in the walls of Dell's that said, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And so literally there wasn't anything we didn't measure. And so um, that was a pretty big transition. Uh, and and the pace, as I said, was was pretty relentless, but it was, you know, I, I had gone to grad school, but I felt like I went to grad school again when I went to Dell. And um, I really appreciate the opportunity there. And it was a rocket ship. I mean, it was a really fascinating growth time. So let's... Let's talk. You've been in the travel business. You were in travel at Amex and you flipped to IHG about three and a half years ago. Tell us about that. You obviously love this category. Why did you jump from Amex, which is a fabulous company, right? And, and uh, into this interesting job? Well, uh, it's funny. I, I still have a journal from when I was in fifth grade and I said I wanted to be a travel writer and I had never left my state at that point. So that just kind of shows you sometimes uh, what might be meant to be. Um, I, I do I do love to travel partly because it's ever-changing and your knowledge of the world just just becomes, or your knowledge of how people are, what 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 is the same, how we're the same as human beings around yeah. the world and how we're different. You know, as you know, we're we're much more similar than we act like sometimes, or that you would read in the press based on some of the challenges we've had uh, in governments around the world. But so I, I find that part fascinating. So partly it was a, an opportunity to be on the executive leadership team and, and have a broader influence. And that's really what was interesting to me. And the company was going through a transformation right when I came. Um, our CEO, uh, Keith Barr, was newly named right before I came. And um, and so we we went through a period of pretty significant transformation. And that was interesting to me because it allowed me to take all my experience at all those companies that we talked about and sort of bring that to bear in terms of the next generation of how we think about the guest experience and the customer experience. So you're global chief customer officer for one of the largest hospitality companies in the world. That sounds like a really cool job. It is a really cool job. <laughs> now, I want you to take us into that job a bit. What do you do? How do you spend your time? Give us a window into your life. Well, each each day is so. Let me let me do this before pandemic because it's pretty yep. different in the pandemic world. You know, we have sixteen brands, and they run the gamut from you know mainstream affordable brands all the way up to uber luxury. And it's it's all the aspects of what is that brand experience like? What is it? What's the design? What's the food and beverage? What's the experience on property? 
Um, it's the technological experience of how do I book? How do I, you know, just the customer journey from, you know, dream, plan, book, stay, et cetera. So you think of all those touch points for 16 brands um, in 100 countries, and it's an ever-changing uh, opportunity. So in some cases, since I've been at the company, we've acquired two brands. We acquired Six Senses and, and another brand region. And then we launched two brands while I've been at the company. So all the things from designing a product from, and, and it's called Atwell Suites, and we're really excited about it. Um, you know, from the beginning of how do you build a brand in the hospitality space, which for me was fascinating because I came right when we'd sort of already had brands. And this was an opportunity to kind of see that process from beginning to end. Um, so it's really all those touch points. It's the data and analytics. So imagine we have on a, again, pre-COVID, on a given night, 500,000 people stay in our beds and eat our food and celebrate with their families and have business meetings. And so all those touch points, um, you know, are pretty significant from a data standpoint. Uh, so there's things like payments capabilities and um, thinking through how do we optimize? We're right now working through the customer journey map of where are the bulk of the touch points? We, you know, we call them the moments that matter. And what minor changes could we make in those moments that matter that would have the most significant um, positive impact on our guests and our owners? And again, think about the, that, that map for all those brands, all those countries, all those demographics, price points, business, leisure, and you as a customer at any given point in time, you might be Jim traveling for business. You might be Jim traveling with your daughter. You might be Jim traveling with your friends you know, your guy friends on a golf trip. So even you don't act the same on every trip. And so it's really mapping all that out and getting to the, what we call the moments that matter and optimizing those. Now you said you, all, you framed everything as pre-COVID, you know, we're a, we're a year into this. Uh, I remember yes. I, I was on a trip when COVID really hit and our, our hotel shut down. Yeah. And it was kind of a panic. Everyone had to get out of town. The airport was chaotic. I was on a family trip about a year ago when, uh, and we knew it was coming, but it happened very quickly. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've told my team, one of the things that I've done for seven years is uh, keep a journal. Uh, and it's, you know, it's fairly short for each day, but you can see the previous years right in front of you. So it's a recurring on the same day. And it's fascinating to watch even my own words about how this crisis unfolded and what I was thinking at the time. And frankly, how naive I was. And I think it was, it's again, another cultural interesting insight as I was thinking of it as an American might think about it, which is this won't happen here, right? We were mm -hmm. at this point watching this happen in other parts of the world. And uh, so it's just kind of an interesting history. But I would say pretty quickly, um, you know, once things started to shut down, we, um, you know, as an executive team focused on the few things that really mattered, and that was safety, whether it's for our guests or for our, for our employees and um, our shareholders, thinking about our shareholders and thinking about the communities. And so um, I worked on two of the the initiatives that that we focused on as a company. One was the recovery, which all, the, or just when would the recovery happen and how might we start to think about that, which, as you know, kept moving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but early on, we didn't think it was going to move that far out. And then what does the customer experience need to be 
but cleanliness and safety, um, you know, we had a, a weekly meeting uh, set as uh, two of us on the executive team uh, were leading that initiative, which was looking globally at all the touch points, again, in all those brands, um, you know, were people wearing masks, were people not wearing masks? Remember early on, this is the kind of thing that's interesting to read my journal, that at, at, for a time, people didn't think masks mattered at all. I don't know if you remember that. And now look, look where we are here, you know, and there was questions about what were the most important elements? Was it the, you know, the, the, what you touch or was it what's in the air? All, all those learnings and how around the world, different governments had different views on that. And so it was, you know, constantly responding to the data we had with the mindset of how do we keep our employees safe? And so I'm really proud of how our company responded um, and kept all those constituents in mind, our employees, our owners, our guests, and our shareholders. And, you know, it's funny, I've heard a lot of company uh, CMOs talk about, you know, how we pivoted, et cetera, but a lot of them pivoted to take advantage of growth. We were pivoting to take advantage of what was, you can't, you can't drive demand when the government is telling you not to drive demand, right? So as a marketer, your mindset can't be, let me go find some other demand somewhere, right? It is, the demand is what it is. There will be essential workers traveling. There will be others traveling. We will keep them safe versus I'm going to go tell people to travel now because you can't. So it really sort of is a, is a different mindset shift of how do we optimize and think about both offense and defense and think about when we recover, what do we want to be doing now so that we're ready when we recover? And that, you know, we really spent a lot of time thinking through as well. So, you know, it was a constantly changing daily stand-up on several initiatives, and it made us so much better as a company. I know a lot of companies are saying that, but um, the speed at which we worked, the passion which we brought to the job, and our employees' mindset was incredibly heartwarming. Are you a better leader, Claire, than you were a year ago? Well, we, we might want to ask my team that. Um, no, in all seriousness, I, I certainly hope so. Um, I, I hope I'm a better leader. I hope I'm a better follower and, and a better person. This year has been humbling and inspiring at the same time. You know, I think as a leader, you think about making sure that you prioritize being human, being vulnerable, and being available. And this crisis gave such a great opportunity to hear from all members of our team. We had a, a weekly sort of really informal chat with chat with Claire Call, and I, and I got to see so much of our talent in action and hear and listen um, and hear what was happening in their part of the world and, and, and listen to their advice. Um, and so they were a key part of this. Um, and then as a follower, I think it's, you know, you're a member of an executive team and you're, you're following your CEO to, to move quickly, our CEO, Keith Barr, to move quickly and, and do what's right for the company. Um, and as a human being, I think it, I think it probably made, I, I hope, all of us better in terms of spending time with family and friends and thinking about our communities and how to just overall focus on taking care of each other. And I think what helped us get through this is that we're a purpose-led company, and we're really proud of that, and, and we let that be our North Star. And when the chips were down, our incredible owners and employees stepped up in such a beautiful way. So they made us better. <laughs> they modeled leadership, and we learned from them, and, and we're really grateful for that. We'll get to that in a minute. I just want to go on a little bit of a sidebar here. You talked about your journal a few times. Yeah. 
you know, you've done, you've been doing this for many years. Do, do you use an app that, that is one of your favorite ways to do this or how do now, you? I know you were going to say that, but, um, and I should, but, um, my father was a writer. So I'm, I, I kind of love the written word to a certain extent. So no, it's a written, um, it's a book, but I, what I like is each time I write in it, I look at the previous seven years. Hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. I mean, as a mother, as a parent, uh, as a wife, as a friend, as a as an as a leader, you know, just kind of watching your own personal journal journey, I, I highly recommend that. It. It's been it's been fascinating. So, when you get, do you ever get distracted and not write an entry for yes. the day? <laughs> Does it feel like it's not complete when you do that? A little bit, but you know, I actually I I will go back and look at photos I took or uh, my calendar for the day or you know, remember a conversation I had with someone. Sometimes I'll just write a note that I want to remember to write it in yeah, the journal and I yeah. don't get to the journal that day. But um, it's been, I would say for this year, from a business standpoint, it was fascinating to relook at the journey we took as a company and, and you know, our team took as, as a marketing organization and my peers, all of us took together. But as a, as a parent, it's been fascinating to look at what I wrote about my children and and those moments. And so uh, it's been, it's been great. I mean, good for you to do it. And I, I've written two books since I left P&G and I really wish I had kept more notes mm. just because I think it helps us, you know, it's helpful to look back and look forward and you, it increases your self-awareness. And I think it's a fabulous discipline and uh, I, I'm better at it now than I was when I was at P&G, but still not as good as you are. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Back to your job. You have, you know, you have this big company, you have lots and lots of uh, stakeholders, right? Franchisees, mm -hmm. owners, employees, guests. You have 16 brands and they're really different brands. You've yes. acquired a few, you've introduced a few organically. How do you decide where to spend your time on which brands uh, and how do you how do you decide on resources? I mean, because lo lots of people listening work on multi brand mm -hmm. in companies, and it's, that is a challenge. I mean, I did a P and G, and I I worked a lot on oh, I can get into that on capabilities to make that scale to make the entire to lift all boats. Yeah, but what, where do you spend your time vis a vis the brands? Well. Um I love all of my children equally, of course, but um, I, I think it it, de it depends. And, and the the beauty of having worked at a lot of different companies and, and frankly seen a lot of different environments in my career is I think at some point you get somewhat intuitive about if we don't work on this thing now, this will impact this constituent base later. Um, because, you know, as I said before, the data in front of you won't always tell you what might become more significant um, at some point in the future. So some of it is just, you know, years of experience and knowing that intuitively. Um, but I would say, you know, again, it's focusing on what are the top priorities for the company. We have four key 
focus areas for our company. And so that's sort of a bit of our North Star is those four areas. And and so there's, you know, as an executive member, I own deliverables in those. And those are kind of the key focus areas. Then it's, um, you know, making sure you're focused on the, the great talent that we have. And in terms of the brands, it's just they're they're in different stages. Some are in stages where we're redesigning. You know, the, these brands have a certain life cycle where at some point you're going to redo the lobby and the rooms, et cetera. So some of our brands were in that stage. Some of our brands were in launch stage. We've already done the design work. And it's really about commercial delivery for the owners. Uh, so we have and then some of our brands are light touch brands. We have a brand called Voco, where uh, it's fairly new and uh, we're, that's being launched around the world. And that's helping an owner sort of stand up in your community, you know, driving demand, et cetera. Then we also have to manage the loyalty program, which has over 100 million people in it. And so it's thinking through our are we taking care of our best customers with the best offers that we can have? Uh, and are we bringing new customers into our loyalty program? So that really is a key, you know, forcing mechanism is knowing, and which is why, you know, as I, as a, as the um, chief customer officer, it's focusing on making sure that we're we're being thoughtful about our best customers and our best guests, and then also making sure that we're bringing new people in, um, which sounds obvious, but. So it's a little bit about the brands, but it's also about the guest who stays at many of our brands, right? Um, you're a good example of that. And so it's making sure we're thinking about you as a customer and all of the brands, but also making sure that the brands are refreshed on a periodic um, cycle, that they have a, a reason to be and a, and a price point that they stay in and a customer base that is highly attracted to them. Yeah. You talked about the four priorities as a company. Can, can, are they public? Can you share them? I believe they're public. Um, they are to focus on um, building brands that people love. Uh, and that's a, a big part of what my team uh, works on. The second is uh, customer centricity, which is, again, both the guest and the owner. That's another key area that that um, me and my team are responsible for. And then there's a, a creating a digital advantage, which is, as I said, part of the customer journey, because every touch point, I think people are becoming much more uh, likely to want um, a quicker interface. And in some cases, uh, I'll come back to that because it's an interesting part of hospitality. You know, it is a people business and, you know, being thoughtful about, you don't want to remove the people as, as, a, as a part of the equation, but creating that digital journey where particularly for certain people who just are in moving fast, how do, how do you have an app that is a seamless seamless process, for example. And then the last one is caring about our communities, our people, et cetera. So really making a difference, which is a big part of our brand purpose. So all four of those, and then you can kind of see how we would then think through our priorities on any given point in time. Um, and obviously yeah. continue to grow our brands and open new ones around the world. I've, I've read that you have a guest love survey. Yes. That I think is almost a daily survey. And, and I've, I've read that you and a colleague really dive into that at least once a week. So could you tell us a bit about that and what you've learned and how long, what's the origin of it? Why did you start it? How has it changed you as a leader in your company? You know, I, I've been at the company over three years and it was here when I got here. So I can't tell you the origin because I, I, I'm not sure how long it's been used, but 
I really look at two things. One is the guest love, because that's an indicator of people who've been on our property and they're commenting on that experience. The second thing is looking at, you know, social media scores, because that may be people who are choosing uh, to, to choose our properties or not based on the content they're reading. And both are important, obviously, for different reasons. And so the guests love to me, particularly in this period um, of during COVID, was incredibly insightful because these are the people who are on property and experiencing, um, you know, new things we've done to for food and beverage, uh, the way the staff experience is, the way cleanliness is perceived. And so we were mining that constantly to make sure, you know, on the margin, do we need to shift some things? So if you think about things like food and beverage, um, you know, in a lot of our properties, that breakfast, you know, is there a breakfast buffet is a is a very large part of the, the point of difference of the brand, for example. And in China, as you know, it's a very big part of the culture. So even in the midst of the crisis, if you looked at those scores in that region, people still wanted the same breakfast experience that was more important than thinking through sort of how, how that might change in the crisis. In parts of the United States, you actually saw skews for that breakfast experience, depending on how that region was dealing with COVID. So you you could see in Florida how the response was about the breakfast buffet versus a California when California was in a more you know significant lockdown versus the UK, which is experiencing a very different. So that's what I mean about the global business. It's kind of fascinating to see the trends and there it is in the data and then making the choice about so what do we do, given that there's different views about this? And so we sort of um, thought about a process where, depending on the occupancy of the hotel, we, we changed that because that was a big indicator of how people felt about um, safety in general. And, and frankly, the, the region would indicate if there's a high occupancy, people in that region are generally more comfortable um, than in other areas. So, um, you know, the last thing I haven't talked about a lot as it relates to this is business is a big piece of this, right? Yeah, so we're yeah. in the recovery, we will we are already are seeing leisure, but there is business travel happening. And I think people tend to think of business as big meetings, but you know, there are a lot of essential workers and, you know, truck drivers and people construction workers mm-hmm. who, you know, make the world work. They're they're still working and they're staying in our hotels. And so that's a piece of business that we've still um been been fairly um successful with this this year but uh we've also thought about the future of meetings so when you 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 know that's where we you know you can't mind the guest love data to think about the future of meetings because people aren't having meetings right now so that's where you know other forms of data is helpful any insights on the future of meetings i know we're still in very early stages of thinking about that but you're thinking about it more than most you know, I think there's the 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 question of well, well, vaccines are such a big part of the whole equation, right? And so, in an environment where people have gotten vaccines, I think there will be an extreme level of comfort with larger meetings. Although, you know, companies have changed sort of how they work, um, but that can be a pro and a con depending on uh, what your local opportunity is to have business meetings. You know, if a company has closed down a local office, they might want a hotel for a business meeting. Um, so we're really thinking about all the growth opportunities and um, I would say vaccines, space considerations come into play, et cetera, and all aspects of having the room 
have a level of clean. I would also say working with meeting planners extensively to make sure we know what they care about. Um, and that's a, a large part of what our corporate sales team has done a terrific job with as well. Yeah. One last question before jumping into our, our good lightning round. Uh, we talk a lot in this podcast about purpose and distinctiveness mm-hmm. and differentiation. You're in a highly competitive and highly cluttered market. What lessons have you learned about standing out with your 16 brands? Well, you know, we just relaunched our master brand, uh, IHG, to IHG Hotels and Resorts. And um, I think it's looking at how you're perceived, again, around the world and by different customer types. So in some parts of the world, our brand is incredibly well-known for one of our certain portfolio brands, right? It might be more well-known for Intercontinental or more well-known for Holiday Inn. And our opportunity is really to focus on the collection of brands that we have. And so, um, and our rewards program, which is which is an award-winning program, and, and focusing on that as really uh, what stands out for us and continuing to update and add benefits, uh, which we're working through right now. So I think it's staying on top of trends, which we can see around the world and, and always being thoughtful about how might the loyalty program change given how consumers and business um, customers' minds have changed. That's the biggest opportunity. And on the purpose piece, you know, we just launched a 10-year responsible business plan. Really excited about that as a company. Um, There's many aspects to it, but I think the ones that I get particularly excited about are sustainability. And that has really become increasingly important to um, guests. And they have called that out, like 82% think it is important. And that number has, has been climbing. So you'll see more on sustainability. And a couple of our brands do that really well. Six Senses has always been a highly sustainable brand um, and Voco, et cetera. Um, and then thinking about diversity and inclusion, huge opportunity. What I love about our category is everyone is welcome at an IHG hotel, right? I mean, because we have properties all around the world with all types of price points, travel should not be only for the wealthy. Travel should be for everyone. Travel should be inclusive. And I think our brand really stands out in that arena. And that's something we're really proud of. Um, and then the last piece is we want to make a difference in our communities. And, you know, that is a big part of our responsible business plan, which is impacting 30 million people is part of our goal. And, you know, when I was in grad school, I wrote a, uh, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I said, you know, I'm, I might want to leave business and, and go work for, for a charity. That's where my mind was at the time. And my professor wrote and on the top of it, um, you should consider that a life in business is a life that can have significant impact on society. And I think that is exactly true when I think about the place we are right now, is we can make a difference um, on uh, food is a great example. Think about um, all the opportunities for, for us and our communities. And we did that during the crisis. You know, there were, we used uh, a lot of our local general managers shared the food with their local communities. Um, in some cases, we had homeless in our hotels early on. So that is something that I, I think we as a company are really proud of and we can make a difference. And that's what matters to us for our owners and for our guests. But I want to move to the lightning round. Okay. What's a brand in your life right now that you would really miss if it went away? 
uh, Netflix. <laughs> it's probably a different answer than a year ago is my guess, right? It is. Actually, I didn't even have Netflix a year ago. So, um, but yes, I've watched, uh, I actually watched The Sopranos this year. I may be the only person based mm. in New Jersey who had not right. seen The Sopranos and I saw all the episodes. So yeah, I've had a lot of catching up to do. I'm not a big TV watcher, but it's been, it's been great. You've been on a lot of interesting boards, advisory boards, for-profit board. How has that helped you as a leader? Uh, I, I think um, really just to think through business issues in different ways and to be surrounded by people with different skill sets. I mean, what I loved about the Toomey board is, you know, the, the learning the retail category and, and seeing how, uh, you know, the location aspects of, of uh, the real estate matter significantly and um, being with a board of people who all had, you know, if, the, if a board is is a is a well diverse board with people with lots of different experience. I just think it's a it just allows you to keep learning and growing, which is what I enjoy. So yes, I have been really lucky. So you said you you're a big Netflix person now. You'd miss the brand. What are you watching now, reading or listening to that you find particularly interesting? I am listening to Jim Stengel's podcast. Oh come on, Claire. <laughs> All right, I'm happy about that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I highly recommend them to anyone. What am I watching right now? Um, You're Dead to Me is. Um, oh, yeah. That's very good. I also loved. Um, oh, what's the show um, about the uh, the coach that moves to the UK that. Um, oh, Ted Lasso. Today. Yeah. Ted Lasso. Love Ted Lasso. That was sad. That's already over. Um, so, yeah, those are those are two that I've been watching. Are lately. you a book reader? I am. Mm-hmm. What's on your bedside table? Uh, I just read um, the Underground Railroad, which I mm. thought was really good. I'm actually reading some um, some business books about leadership, which is I love the the um, the Disney book um, on Bob Iger. Yeah, it's a good one. Yes, the Bob yeah. Iger book. That was a great one. Yeah, and um, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. I just read. Yeah. I was a little behind on that one, and then I I watched that as well. So, uh, you know, I like pretty eclectic mix of genres just to keep things interesting. Yeah. You had a prescient professor years ago who said, if you want to make an impact in society, get us, you know, work in business. Yes, that was a great, great lesson. And and now I think as I think about the the future way I can impact, that's that's the part that gets me really excited. And thinking about bringing in some of our younger customers to help us on that journey, because I think... The next generation, I'm pretty excited about. I mean, I, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this pandemic influenced people. But I do think, you know, sometimes this kind of crisis brings people closer together and, and brings them to focus on the things that really matter. I mean, you saw it after 9-11 in mm-hmm. New York. Um, I think you, we're already seeing it now. I mean, people are talking to their relatives more often. They're spending time with friends in a way they didn't. So um, that's the positive piece that I, I think is will bode well for us, taking all of us taking care of each other, no matter where we are in the world. Nobody was not impacted by this pandemic, and that's quite a lesson. Yeah. I love that thought, Claire. I'll give you the last word. Any quick question for me before we sign off? Where is your next inter- IHG hotel that you're going to stay in, Jim, and, or your next trip? But it's got to, I'll just assume it's at an IHG hotel. Yes, Claire. That's a good assumption. Uh, we have like, we were, my wife and I were invited to seven weddings in 
2020 and none of them happened. So we we have a cavalcade of weddings in the next 18 months and many of them are in great locations. So we're just, you know, we've committed to ourselves to make a holiday out of each of the weddings. That sounds fantastic. We're going to the islands off Seattle. We're going to Sarasota. We're going to San Diego. Uh, We're going to southeastern Pennsylvania, Cincinnati. So a lot of, you know, so we're just going to make sure we build in a few extra days to do something we haven't done before. That sounds fabulous. We, I would highly encourage everyone who's been vaccinated and is comfortable traveling to come visit us and stay in our hotels and uh, hope to see you on the road somewhere. Me too. Claire, this has been so good. All the best to you. You love your job. That's obvious. And this conversation was filled with so much in terms of lessons on leadership and marketing and, and just uh, being a great human being. So thank you for sharing your insights and wisdom with us. Well, thank you. It's been fun. That was my conversation with Claire Bennett. Three takeaways from this rich discussion. First one, linking your marketing activities to your business priorities. Claire talked about how the company has four major priorities for the business. Her marketing flows directly out of those priorities. Every senior marketing person's top priorities should be driven by what the company's trying to do. Great lesson. Second takeaway, think nobly about your career in business. Claire talked about a professor who said to her many years ago when she was musing about working for a charity, he said, take a job in business. You can make a big impact in society through a career in business. Claire believes that. She's lived that principle for her life. And in her job at IHG, she is making a big impact with so many people in so many communities. Last takeaway, the power of keeping a journal. Claire has kept a journal for the last seven years in her life. When she makes an entry, she looks back on that same day over the last seven years. I wish I had done that. I have thought so many times about, oh, I wish I would have remembered that experience with more clarity. I've written a few books since I left P&G. The journal would have been fabulous material for that. So my takeaway was consider starting a journal even at this point in my career. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.